Book genres are so 20th century. No, 19th century. They made sense when each book needed to be placed on a physical shelf so people could find similar titles. But what if you want to find a vampire romance, a post-apocalyptic comedy, a Western mystery where the main character is an android, a World War II adventure with magic, or a story based around a character of any race or religion or gender, set in any time or any place you choose. Scribble now brings searching for books into the 21st century, even if you're looking for one set in the 17th. Find the books you'll love by selecting the story elements that matter to you at scribble.com. You'll never look for books the same way again. Search by story elements only at scribble.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-L dot com. Welcome to my novel, False Alarm, a free serialized audiobook read by me, the author, Heather Stallings. Music by Mark Bruce. This book contains content best suited for adults. Please visit my website, heatherstallings.com. Chapter 4 Kate sat on the bedroom floor, drinking warm Chablis from a jelly jar. She speed-dialed her mother's house in Spokane and got a man's voice. Ginny and I are at home right now. Kate hung up and manually dialed, but got him again. Something was up. Her mother had always gone by Virginia. What's the matter? Gus asked. Gus was on the floor, too, putting a Barney puzzle together with her. He wore a plastic firefighter's hat and a gold badge pinned to his T-shirt that said Captain Bob. Camille was trying to eat Barney's nose. Just trying to find Grandma, Kate said. She'll turn up. Her mother was a busy divorce lawyer. Kate was still upset about blowing it with Pedro. She'd left a phone message apologizing, then sent daisies with a letter offering to do his taxes for free. To hell with the tightwad Kingsley. But now it was Saturday, and after all day with the kids, she needed to spend a few hours focusing on her husband. Surely, when they went on a proper date, he could give her that little glow that she'd felt again recently when Pedro had appreciated how she'd been studying all her life. Sandy appeared in the bedroom doorway wearing an SFFD t-shirt. Today was their annual marital summit. Kate's idea, of course. It was always the second weekend in December. Consuelo stayed overnight while Kate and Sandy took up quarters at the Pelican Inn, a recreation of an English inn just across the Golden Gate, before doing a little Christmas shopping on their way home. It was the only time Kate ever ate fish and chips, which she loved breaking her rule about nothing deep-fried. Armed with notebooks and pens, Kate made sure to bring writing supplies for Sandy. They reviewed the state of their union, childcare, career aspirations, major purchases, vacation plans, everything but their feelings. Sandy, who hated to plan, did not relish these discussions, but went along because he loved drinking black and tans in the pub and sleeping until ten. He was more social than Kate and struck up conversations about sports and the president with the Englishmen wannabes. They always requested the room over the bar. 
The din of raucous Englishmen feasting on shepherds' pies relaxed them. The noise meant they didn't have to talk anymore. It masked their sounds if they got to the sex. To Kate, hotel sex was too much pressure. The expectation of the turned-down bed, the chocolate hearts left on the pillows that kept her wired, never spent. Frequency was what counted for her, like ski runs on a $60 lift ticket. This year, they were pinched for time and decided that a school night quickie would have to do for this year's summit. Sandy suggested a movie, which wasn't exactly what Kate had in mind. We can talk during the previews, Sandy said. Kate completed the Barney puzzle with Baby Bop's umbrella. Stop it, Mommy, Gus said. I can do it by myself. He picked up the puzzle board. Camille squealed, grabbing puzzle pieces off the board with her chubby hands. Kate mused that Barney, not to mention Fire Captain Bob, should be outlawed across the country. I like the previews, Kate said, standing up. But I guess that's what you had in mind. She had almost given up on the marital summit. She hadn't told him yet about J.P. stealing Pedro. Sandy was so excited about the bonus, and she wanted him to be proud. We can get Chinese after, he said, looking in a dresser drawer. Where are my jeans? The laundry that Consuelo had washed and folded was still in the clothes basket outside their drawer. Just like Kate, Consuelo hated to put laundry away. Camille crawled behind and pulled it out anyway. And so they mainly used the clothes right out of the basket. Why not these? Kate asked, grabbing a pair of jeans out of his drawer. Camille, a puzzle piece in her mouth, pulled herself up on the dresser and stared inside the empty drawer. Sandy patted his stomach and gulped a Heineken from his nightstand. He'd been going through a lot of beer lately. Kate knew because she did the shopping. And Sandy's half-gallon of Captain Morgan rum that he kept in the cupboard was almost empty. Sterling's been into the rum again, he'd said earlier that week. Those are a little tight, he said. Maybe I should get a trainer. Where had that come from? Kate looked at him again. Sandy didn't believe in exercising for the sake of exercising. He'd get inspired to chop wood, but never to ab roll. And Kate admired him for this, though she had to admit that she'd been finding too many boxes of pizza bones in front of the computer lately. If Kate were up a size, she'd be devastated. She'd be at the gym, then eating rice cakes for dinner. Forget the movie Popcorn, because staying in shape was what was expected of her. But Sandy always made comments like, Guess I'm up a size, with less angst than the Niners lost today. Now there he'd show some emotion. So why a trainer now? Had the fireman fantasy shamed him into taking action? Or was there something, or even someone else? Suddenly looking good was a known symptom of having an affair. Kate busied herself with Barney, making sure that Camille didn't do permanent damage to the creature's schnozzle. Regular people have trainers, Sandy said, obviously trying to get Kate to warm to the subject. Sandy liked to think of himself as a regular guy, and he was certainly that. It might be fun for a while, he said. You could watch the kids, say, Thursday nights? He took another swig of beer. Maybe we can give it a try? Kate sighed. What? asked Sandy, who was rifling in the closet for his red polo shirt, the color of Kate's wool sweater. He liked to match her. In general, it made her uncomfortable, reminding her of infant twins dressed by a hyperactive mother. Nothing, she said. 
I've been home with the kids all day. I'm tired. Sandy poked his head out of the closet. So take a break. A break? She felt that if she break for a moment, their world would fall apart. Sometimes, she thought, he just doesn't get it. Sandy had his heart set on Avatar, which was still playing at a neighborhood theater on the outskirts of the mission. As Sandy and Kate passed the mission firehouse, Sandy slowed down. It was dark outside, the engines put to bed. Two firemen ate dinner in a brightly lit window. Kate watched Sandy as he looked past her. His eyes were dark and wet, muddied. His chin tilted up. A faraway look he got whenever they sang the national anthem. It made Kate feel insecure, as if he were openly flirting with another woman. She needed to be prettier, work harder, make more money. Kate drummed her fingers on the dashboard. Is it the sleeping porch thing again or the heavy machinery? Sandy gunned the engine and they launched into darker, narrow streets with looming buildings marred by spray can pranksters, the sprawling black silences. She wished he'd say something. She wished he'd get angry. I feel that you're trying to leave me, Kate said, the cartilage in her neck tightening. She wouldn't cry. Even as a child, her mother said she rarely cried. You don't understand, Sandy said. His lips were tight, his knuckles wide on the steering wheel. I want to understand, Kate said. She touched his tense hand with her fingertips. Help me understand. I hate being a lawyer. I hate wearing ties and checking voicemail and doing email. I'm getting rid of my email. Did I tell you? He relaxed his grip on the steering wheel. Kate winced. Only old people didn't do email. Old, retired people. It's not like I'm saving other people from the gas chamber, Sandy went on. I need to work with my hands. I don't think I'll be satisfied until I'm around dirt. Or ash, Kate said. Her mother had told her to marry a doctor or lawyer, but that was before her mother had become a lawyer herself. Her mother had told her a lot of things. Maybe you just need a project, Kate went on. A car backfired somewhere. There were no streetlights in this part of town. We could add the deck you've been wanting. There'd be lots of dirt. Let's add another bathroom while we're at it. It's not the same. You'll see. I'll have more free time. I can watch the kids more, and you can focus on your career. Kate looked out at the black street, the shadowy figures entering the theater with blankets and sleeping bags. I like being with the kids. Sandy faced her and put his hands on her knees. Come on, you're terrific at it, but you hate being home. It gives you a stomach ache. Kate felt like she might explode. He really didn't understand the conflict she felt of wanting to be with the kids and wanting to do a good job at work. She was certain that men didn't feel the same way. There were very few women in top jobs. The trend was not increasing, and this conflict was the reason. Sandy's father had assumed that Kate would stop her career when Gus was born, saying, You have another job now. Her response to him, well, so does Sandy, had been like blowing smoke. A man's career was the most important thing, and a man's happiness in his career, the man chose and didn't have a problem doing so. She suspected that this instinct to bring home the bacon was part practical, part biological, yet Sandy didn't seem to care how much bacon it was. The worst of it all was his second-guessing her love for Gus and Camille. Her love for her children was pure. 
maybe the only two people in the world whom she was really sure about. She opened her mouth to explain this, but stopped. It was too late. She felt that Sandy had already betrayed her. The commercials had started, projecting enough light for Kate and Sandy to find their seats in the middle of the theater. Popcorn and other garbage crunched under their feet as they shifted in the lumpy seats. A jacket or towel, Kate wasn't sure, was crumpled in the seat next to her, and she tried not to look at it. Though she was considering tossing it over her legs, she was so cold. The regulars knew there was no heat, so they came prepared to camp. Several rows ahead, a couple was making out passionately. The fireflies of cigarettes sparkled around them. The smell of pot was like burning autumn leaves. Kate took a moment to inhale. The total effect was almost pleasant. Okay, let's get down to business, Kate said, not about to let Sandy's trainer idea, more evidence of a midlife crisis, or the unpleasant exchange in the car get in the way of their marital business. But she had an unsettling feeling that he'd already selected a trainer, call it paranoia or a woman's intuition, and that it was a woman. Kate pulled the type list out of her purse and held it up to catch some light. A bottle rolled under their seats toward the front row. I think we can wrap this up before the preview, she said. This was often the way they had discussions, eating dinner in front of the television and talking during the commercials. The other night during a family meal, she was amazed how high the table seemed. She was so used to eating with a plate on her lap. Item number one, Kate read from the type list, Gus and Church. Sandy sank lower in his chair. What else is on your list? Our list. Why was this so hard? She suddenly remembered Pedro's, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. How had she missed that meeting? It was awful when he thought Sterling was dead, Kate said. He doesn't know what dead means. Sterling's getting up there. He's 77 in dog years. What are we going to tell Gus when he dies? We say he's gone to heaven. Is that what you believe? Sandy never discussed God with her. It was private, he told her, even when she reminded him that they'd had children together. Sometimes she felt she was a completely separate section of his life. His life had many sections, divided up like an orange. Of course, Sandy said, looking at her. His eyes glowed in the darkness. Somewhere behind them, a firecracker popped. Why do you always doubt that? So will you go to church with us? I don't feel like leading the crusade on this one. I've done the altar boy thing. You're the one who could use a good dose of faith. She tried to ignore that little dart. You think I should go? It couldn't hurt. The way I see it, we get the kids baptized and they go to church in several years. In several years? The people lighting fireworks behind them shushed her. Yeah, it won't be long. Ask any woman how many several is and she'll say six to ten, Kate said. She'd noticed that men liked to use that word. It was indefinite, noncommittal. When she and Sandy had been dating two years and Kate had questioned the direction of their relationship, Sandy said they'd get married in several years. As it worked out, it was only two years later, but that was only because her old boyfriend had shown up on her doorstep, back from teaching English to developing nations, presenting her with a book of poetry he'd written that revealed intimate details of their relationship. Several is a word meant for procrastination, Kate said. We need church. I don't want my kids to think of their baptism like a circumcision. Sandy had been adamant about Gus's circumcision. Kate felt guilty about it and still wanted to be convinced of its necessity. 
I want them to understand exactly what it means. You went to Sunday school. Just explain it to them. I wasn't paying attention. When I think of it, I remember lemons, lemon jelly donuts for breakfast, and my mother's lemon perfume, and my fingers stinging from cutting lemons with our dull knives for her Saturday night cocktail parties. Exactly my point, Sandy said, shaking a finger at her. Last time we took Gus to church, all he talked about was the grape juice at communion. He's too young. A preview for Iron Man came on, and Sandy snapped to attention. A timely commercial break from their discussion. Or was their discussion the commercial break? At dinner, he said, putting his hand over hers. We can do the rest of your list then. But the time for that had passed. Kate would stop after item five, her mother coming for Christmas. While Sandy sat fixed on the previews, she thought again of her conversation with the prospect, Pedro. He hadn't cared what they were going to talk about. He just wanted to talk to her. She doubted that he wanted to live in a firehouse. At the end of the list, item number six, which wasn't actually on the list, she wanted to tell Sandy she was failing at work. She had lost the big fish and someone who had given her a few rare goosebumps. But of course, she hadn't even been able to type this concern. She didn't want to disappoint him. Some things were better left unsaid. Hi, I'm back. Thank you for listening. I don't know about a marital summit, but Kate at least tries hard on all fronts, which is a good quality, but uh, I also think it's an Achilles heel for her. At work, she's technically the chief financial officer, same as me. You know, you'd think that would be nuts and bolts accounting with that glamorous title and a chance to boss the staff around, but it's really far from the truth. I started working at the button-down CPA firm Arthur Anderson before indictments. Too bad about the Enron scandal. Arthur Anderson was the most conservative firm out there. They told us, you know, never leave a post-it in the files in case of a lawsuit. And there was a strict hierarchy. The best number crunchers got promoted, as long as you passed the CPA exam, which was grueling, and didn't get too drunk at parties, because accountants are big partiers. But none of this is true when you're working with professional athletes. It's all about special services and attention. And nobody cared about my spreadsheets. I could round up fast cars and insure them. So throw out everything you know. In a sports firm, schmoozing with clients means everything. Managed by the seedier pants and better to wear pants. I was told in that business that boys are used to talking to boys. There's lots of things that guys do with guys, like fire weapons. And the urine testing is just too adversarial. So Kate's going to have to find another way to break into the business. More on that in Chapter 5. Talk to you next week. For more information, please go to my website, heatherstallings.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please go on iTunes and give this podcast five stars. False Alarm is available cheap on the Kindle, and Amazon sells it in paperback. Please write a review on Amazon, Smashwords, or Goodreads. Thanks again, and talk to you next week. Till soon.